Hello, my name's Laura, and this is German Grammar Pod. This is my second podcast about relative pronouns. In my first podcast, I covered the basics about relative pronouns. In this one, I'm mainly going to talk about the impact of prepositions. That's words like in and with, and a few other exceptions and special cases. I was planning to make this my final podcast on relative pronouns, but there turned out to be so many special cases to explain, I've decided to do a third one about other important exceptions, so this podcast doesn't get too long. To recap my last podcast briefly, relative pronouns are words that link a noun or a clause to a relative clause in a sentence. For instance, the which in I saw a film which made me laugh is a relative pronoun, which links film to the relative clause, which made me laugh. In my last podcast, I covered the fact that German mainly uses the word for the as the relative pronoun. The word for the in German, and thus also German relative pronouns, change depending on gender and case. The relative pronoun gets its gender from the noun it links to in the earlier clause, but it gets its case from the role it plays in the relative clause. That's the clause the relative pronoun is part of. The first thing I want to cover in this podcast is the fact that English sometimes drops its relative pronouns. For instance, in English, it's acceptable to say the man who I saw, who being the relative pronoun. But it's also acceptable to say the man I saw. This isn't the case in German. German always uses a relative pronoun in a relative clause. For instance, the German for the man I saw is der Mann, den ich gesehen habe, den being the relative pronoun. The next thing I wanted to mention explicitly is that you don't need to wait until the end of the main clause before starting a relative clause. You stick it straight in after the noun you're linking to, then carry on your main clause at the end of it as if nothing had interrupted it. For instance, der Anruf, den ich nie erhalten wollte, kam gestern. The call that I never wanted to receive came yesterday. Notice that both in English and German, the relative clause comes partway through the main clause, interrupting it immediately after the noun the relative pronoun links to. The main clause then simply finishes as if the relative clause had never existed. In other words, if you took out the relative clause, you'd be left with a perfectly correct main clause like this. Der Anruf kam gestern. The call came yesterday. The next thing I wanted to talk about is when the relative pronoun is the object of a preposition. Prepositions are words like on, under and for. What I mean by the object of a preposition is the noun or pronoun that comes after the preposition. So the shelf in on the shelf, the hat in look under the green hat, and the me in wait for me. To understand this section, you need to know that in German, prepositions govern the case of the noun or pronoun that follows them. For instance, mit is always followed by a dative. If you don't already know about this, you should listen to my podcasts about the nominative, the accusative, the dative and the genitive before listening to this podcast.
Now, most of the time, when a relative pronoun is the object of a preposition, the relative clause works just like the relative clauses I covered in my previous podcast, except that instead of the relative pronoun being the first word in the relative clause, the preposition is the first word and is immediately followed by the relative pronoun. Here are examples from each of the cases, except the nominative, as there aren't any prepositions that take the nominative. First, the accusative. Here's a very similar example to the one I just used. Der Anruf, auf den ich warte, kam gestern nicht. The call I'm waiting for didn't come yesterday. Literally, the call for which I wait came yesterday not. Notice that the German diverges from the English more in this example than in my last one. Whereas in German, the preposition came first in the relative clause, followed by the relative pronoun. In natural English, the preposition came at the end of the relative clause and I dropped the relative pronoun altogether. I can make the English sound more like the German by putting the preposition first with the relative pronoun after it. I find this very useful for working out German relative pronouns with prepositions, but it's not the way around I'd say it in normal conversation. Right, let's have a dative example. Das Team, mit dem ich arbeite, könnte nicht besser sein. The team that I work with couldn't be better. Literally, the team with which I work could not better be. Notice that again, the preposition came at the start of the relative clause in German, followed immediately by the relative pronoun. In the English, this time I chose to use the relative pronoun that, although I could just as easily have dropped it. Nonetheless, my preposition came right at the end of the relative clause, rather than at its start like in German. Finally, genitive. Now, the genitive is tricky. The first thing you need to know is that in colloquial spoken German, the genitive is rarely used after prepositions. And this applies to relative pronouns just as much as to any other noun or pronoun. Advanced learners, I advise you copy this habit when talking or writing to friends. As native German speakers tell me, it sounds rather odd and excessively formal if you actually use the genitive like this in spoken German. On the other hand, in an essay or when talking to people who themselves use very precise, correct language, or in an official situation, I'd use the genitive. Intermediate learners, I wouldn't worry about making a conscious choice about whether to use the genitive or dative. Just use whichever one you can remember. And beginners, I advise against you learning how to use genitive relative pronouns at all at this stage. I suggest you avoid them altogether until you're competent in nominative, accusative and dative ones. Anyhow, for intermediate and advanced learners, I'm going to give you two examples. The first will use the genitive and is what you would put in formal written German. The second will use the dative. Here's the genitive one. Ich habe nie einen Albtraum gehabt, wegen dessen ich aufgewacht bin. I have never had a nightmare because of which I've woken up. The genitive dessen makes the German sound slightly awkward and overly formal. The very literal English I've translated it into 
has a similar or possibly even more awkward impact. Really, it's modelled too closely on the German and doesn't sound natural in English. Now with the dative. Ich habe nie einen Albtraum gehabt, wegen dem ich aufgewacht bin. I think I would translate it as, I've never had a nightmare that I've woken up because of. Or, better still, I've never had a nightmare that's woken me up. Now, the genitive is tricky in more ways than one, and it turns out that there's another way to say because of which. Instead of wegen dessen, German has the alternative option of dessent wegen, bringing me to my third example. Ich habe nie einen Albtraum gehabt, dessent wegen ich aufgewacht bin. This has precisely the same meaning as my first two examples and is acceptable in formal speech and writing. In case you're wondering, you can't do this with all prepositions that take the genitive. It's specifically wegen dessen that this alternative is available for. Or the feminine or plural version, wegen deren, which turns into derent wegen. More useful still, in my view, are the related terms meinetwegen and deinetwegen. Meinetwegen means because of me, or can also mean for my sake, or for my part, or on my behalf, and a few other similar things besides. Similarly to meinetwegen, deinetwegen means because of you, informal, or for your sake, or for your part, etc. In fact, you can make any person, so seinetwegen has the same range of meaning for the pronoun him, and iretwegen has the same range of meaning for her and them, or, if you spell it with a capital I, for you, formal. For example, because of her, because of them, or because of you. With iretwegen, you have to rely on the context to show which is intended. Getting back to genitive relative pronouns, do you remember that in my podcast on the basics of relative pronouns, I said that not only can the genitive pronoun mean of which or which, it can also be used to mean whose. Well, the same applies after a preposition. For instance, ein Mann von dessen Vergangenheit wir wenig wissen. A man whose past we know little of. Or, more literally, a man of whose past we know little. Or, er hat vor kurzem eine Frau kennengelernt, in deren Gegenwart er sich wohl fühlt. He recently met a woman in whose presence he feels comfortable. In these examples, because the preposition in question doesn't take the genitive, it can be tempting to try and change the ending of dessen or deren to match the preposition's case. For instance, to say von dessem with an M for Mike on the end, because von takes the dative and masculine and neuter determiners end in an M in the dative. Some native German speakers even mistakenly do this. However, this is considered incorrect. Dessen and deren don't change to match the preposition you either use them to mean which with a preposition that takes the genitive, in which case they already match the preposition, or you use them to mean whose, in which case 
any preposition they follow has no impact on them. Before I leave the subject of relative pronouns after prepositions, I just want to mention the way you say one of which or one of whom or most of whom in German. You do this with the phrase von denen, of which. Just to make sure I didn't confuse you just now with those sentences about von dessen, of whose. We're not using a whose here, we're using von denen to mean of which. Because we want the relative pronoun to mean which, not whose, the relative pronoun has to match the case the preposition takes. Von takes the dative, and in the one of whom sentences, the whom always refers to a plural. The dative plural relative pronoun is denen, so you get von denen. Only if I had wanted to say one of whose would I have said von dessen einer instead. Back to my one of whom sentences which use von denen. Here's an example. Die Jungen, von denen einer mir das Buch gegeben hat. The boys, one of whom gave me the book. Notice that instead of one of whom in English, in German you are in fact using the word order of whom one, von denen einer. I find it very hard to remember to do it this way round, so brownie points to anyone who does. Now, as I was just explaining, in sentences in this pattern, you always use von denen to mean of whom. The word for one, however, doesn't stay the same. You have to change it to match the gender of the noun you're talking about, and you also have to put it in the right case for the role that word is playing in the relative clause. The word for one that you use in this phrase is almost the same as the German word for a, but not quite. The difference is that whereas the masculine nominative form of a is ein, the masculine nominative form of one is einer, with er on the end. And the neuter nominative and accusative forms are eines, with es, or eins, instead of ein. All the other cases and genders are the same as for the word a. A useful pattern for remembering this is that the word we're using for one here always ends in the same letter as the word for the does in that case and gender. Don't get confused, by the way. One can have several translations. In addition to the one I've been talking about here, there's also the version of one that Prince Charles uses a lot. For instance, one doesn't like to brag, where one is translated as man in German. And there's the number one, which is eins, when it's not followed by a noun it's giving the number of, for instance, eins, zwei, drei. But when it is followed by a noun it's describing, for instance, one car, you use the German word for a, so you get ein Auto, one car, or eine Katze, one cat. But I digress. Let's have an example of one of my von denen sentences talking about a group of neuter nouns, where the relative pronoun plays the role of a dative in the sentence. Ich sehe die Kinder, von denen ich einem das Buch gab. I can see the children, one of whom I gave the book to. In case you're wondering why it's 
von denen ich einem das Buch gab, instead of von denen einem ich das Buch gab. That's because this type of one is a pronoun, and normal rules on word order apply. And in these rules, any nominative pronoun, such as ich, comes before any dative pronoun, such as einer. If you want to know more about word order, I've already recorded a couple of podcasts on that subject, which you can listen to. But if you think this is all a bit complicated, don't worry. The level of grammar in these podcasts goes right up to what you need to get a good grade in your finals at university, and possibly even beyond that. You can communicate in German without knowing a lot of what I'm telling you. The trick is to find bits that work for the level you're at, and not get disheartened by the bits you don't understand yet. This podcast is supposed to be making your life easier, not harder. Back on the one of them structure, you can also use it to say most of them or some of them. In this case, most is die meisten and some is einige. For instance, eine Anzahl Frauen, von denen ich einige kenne. A number of women, some of whom I know. Or, viele Bilder, von denen die meisten Aquarelle sind. Lots of pictures, most of which are watercolours. Einige and die meisten both refer to plurals, so there's no gender to take into consideration here. Plurals aren't marked for gender in German, but simply for being plural. But these do change for case, depending on the role they play in the relative clause. So that's einige and die meisten for nominative and accusative. For dative, it's den meisten and einigen. And for genitive, der meisten and einiger with an R. Beginners, I don't think you'll need any of these von denen forms often enough for it to be worth learning for you at this stage. Intermediate learners, I suggest you memorise von denen einer and ignore the other options. There's just one other thing I want to mention in this podcast, and that's how German makes relative pronouns for I and you. For instance, that I who have been so loyal should be chosen seems unfair or it was you who did it. These are actually really rare in German and are mainly confined to extremely literary texts and the Bible. In standard German, Germans simply find another way of expressing what they want to say. Because of this, unless you're trying to read the Bible in German or the difficult end of German literature, I recommend that you ignore this information as it won't be very useful for you. If you are trying to read the Bible or the difficult end of German literature, then it's helpful to be aware of how these forms work. There are two ways this can be done in German. The first of which is simply done with the relative pronouns that we've already learnt. For instance, ich, die so loyal gewesen ist, for females, or ich, der so loyal gewesen ist, for males. Both meaning I who have been so loyal. Notice that in German, the verb in the relative clause is a third-person verb. That's the form that goes with he, she or it, 
like saying, I who has been so loyal, instead of I who have been so loyal. However, this construction is even less common than the second option. What usually happens is that instead of using just the relative pronoun by itself with the third person form of the verb, German follows this pattern. Ich, die ich so loyal gewesen bin, literally I, the I so loyal been have. In other words, ich or du, followed by a masculine or feminine relative pronoun, depending on if you're talking about a male or a female, then ich or du again, followed by the rest of the relative clause, ending in a verb conjugated to match ich or du, depending on which one your sentence is about. Here's another example with du, in which du refers to a man. Du, der du nicht alles wissen kannst. You, who can't know everything. This also works if ich or du is in another case. For instance, Ich sage es dir, der du nicht alles wissen kannst. I say to you, who can't know everything. I find those very confusing and often misinterpret the meaning of such sentences. So don't feel bad if you do too. This is very advanced grammar we're using here. However, I always feel that knowing is half the battle and that forewarned is forearmed. So hopefully, just having heard that this is how this bit of grammar works will help some of my advanced and very advanced listeners to understand what they're seeing in sentences like this. Right, that's enough for this podcast. To sum up, in this podcast, I've mentioned that English often drops relative pronouns from relative clauses, but German can't. I've also mentioned that in both English and German, relative clauses interrupt main clauses in the middle, at the point the noun the relative clause relates to has just occurred, and then the main clause carries on as if nothing had happened. Mainly, though, I've been talking about using relative pronouns after prepositions. Whereas natural English speech tends to put the relative pronoun at the beginning of a relative clause, or to drop it altogether, and to put the preposition at the end, when your relative pronoun is the object of a preposition in German, German starts its relative clause with that preposition, followed immediately by the relative pronoun. The relative pronoun changes its case to match the case that the preposition takes. This works fine and dandy in the accusative and dative. All you have to do is know which case your preposition takes. But in the genitive, things start to get a bit tricky. First of all, in colloquial spoken German, people will often use a dative instead of a genitive with prepositions that take the genitive. And this applies to relative pronouns too. Secondly, with wegen, instead of saying wegen dessen, for because of which, German has another option and can use dessent wegen instead, or derent wegen when referring to a feminine noun, or a plural. Indeed, there's a whole set of these words based on the genitive personal pronoun. Meinetwegen, deinetwegen, seinetwegen, ihretwegen, etc. Meinetwegen doesn't just mean because of me. It can also mean for my sake, on my behalf, for my part, and as far as I'm concerned. The other etwegens 
have a similar range of meanings. The other thing about the genitive is that dessen and deren not only have the ability to appear after a preposition as its object, but can also appear there with the meaning of whose. Typically here, dessen and deren will appear after a preposition that takes the dative or one that takes the accusative, rather than after a preposition that takes the genitive. Despite this, you don't do anything to try and make dessen or deren match the case the preposition takes. They simply stay dessen or deren and are followed by a noun whose case is dictated by the preposition. Confusing her? It gets less so if you just try and remember that when they mean whose, dessen and deren don't need to match anything except the gender of the noun they relate back to. However, the preposition does determine the case of the noun and any adjectives that come after them, as if the dessen or deren hadn't been there at all. Another thing I mentioned is a useful set of examples of relative clauses, meaning one of which, or something similar. The pattern these follow is von denen einer. For instance, die Jungen von denen einer mir das Buch gegeben hat. The boys, one of whom gave me the book. Von denen is invariable. The word for one changes its ending to match gender and case. It always starts with ein and it always has the same final letter as the German word for the in that gender and case. You can also follow this pattern to say some of whom or most of whom by using von denen einige, some of whom, and von denen die meisten, most of whom. The einige and the D always refer to plurals, so don't change for gender, but they do change for case. The einige changes so that its final letter is the same as the plural form of the in each case. Finally, I talked about how German can use relative pronouns for you and I, but these are mainly restricted to the Bible and the more difficult end of German literature. Usually, German speakers find ways to avoid such constructions. When you do find them, the most common form is to repeat I or you after the relative pronoun and match the gender of the relative pronoun to whether the person is male or female. For instance, ich, die ich so loyal gewesen bin, I who have been so loyal, and du, der du nicht alles wissen kannst, you who can't know everything. This can get a little tricky as ich and du can appear in different cases, for instance as mich or dir, and the relative pronoun can appear in a different case as well. I recommend that anyone who isn't trying to read the Bible in German or German's more difficult authors completely ignores that I've even mentioned this. You're extremely unlikely to come across this construction anywhere else. So that was it for this session on relative pronouns, although there will be another one to come. I'll put relevant tables and the transcript of this podcast on my website, which has now moved to sites.google.com slash site slash German grammar pod. The reason for this move is that Yahoo is shutting down GeoCities in October this year, 
so I've had to find another home for the website. You can still email me at germangrammarpod at yahoo.co.uk. My blog is also still at germangrammarpod.blogspot.com. It's a good place to leave comments, especially if you have anything to say that you think might be useful or interesting for other listeners, such as recommendations for other German language learning resources or tricks you found useful learning German. My thanks as ever to Martin Kraus, who's the main source of native German speaker help for these podcasts. My next podcast will be about when to use words other than the relative pronouns we've looked at so far. Anyway, that's it for this time. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.